so much that we can share in the communion today Lord and speak about Jesus being an advocate, being that one who stands in the gap Lord pray now that as we listen to your word may I know he's praying for us, I know that he wants us to get the message from you today so Lord I pray I pour your spirit upon us, oh God both preacher and hearer alike both signer and death alike. Pour your spirit upon us, O oh God. For we can do nothing without you. Not even here without your aid. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this message this morning, The Test of True Christianity. The Test of True Christianity. You know, it's always helpful to um, have tests and exams. Um, I personally, going through school, hated tests and exams. Don't mind being tested on history, I loved history, but I hated maths and science. And um, some of the guys in uh, my classroom also hated it, and when they go into the exam um, hall, um, all some of them did was write their name on top of the paper. That's all they did. And even that, they spelt the name wrong as well. And um, so, you know, not everyone likes exams and tests, but they are important because they give uh, the teachers a benchmark to where you are. It, it, it tells people, it tells yourself where you might be. Um, and, and many of us here passed a, a driving test. And, and, and when you fail, you realize where you need to improve on. How about Christianity? How about your faith? How about looking at your own faith and, 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 and your own walk with God and asking this question, where am I in this? And, and, and John helps us in our Bible reading to look at where we are in our walk with God. So my first heading here is, is loving, is loving. And um, the Bible reading here looks like John is in a bit of confusion, what he's writing about. So look at the, um, the, the first couple of verses here. John says this, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Now, now, hold on, John. You just said that you are not writing a new command, but how do you mean that you are writing a new command? Are you a bit confused, John? First you said, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, and now you turn around and say, here's a new command. John, we're confused. What are you trying to say? Well, it seems to me that um, John is actually trying to do both. In our Bible reading, he's um, trying to do two things here. In fact, Jesus helps us because Jesus turns around and says in the Old Testament that we should love our neighbor. Look what it says. Jesus is speaking in Matthew. He says, and the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets 
hang on these two commands. You see, to love your neighbour is not a New Testament idea. To love your neighbour actually is an Old Testament idea. Some people don't like the Old Testament. They think, oh, the Old Testament is so harsh. But actually, in the Old Testament, we are commanded to love our neighbour. And um, that's an old command. But in coming into the New Testament, Jesus now presents something new in the New Testament. Yes, in the Old Testament, we are learning and we've learned about loving your neighbor. But in the coming of the New Testament, something changes. What changes? Well, three things change about this love. The first thing that changes uh, is and it revolves around the death of Jesus Christ. You see, um, Jesus said this. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I like the old version. No one has greater love than this that a man lays down his life for his friends. That he goes on to say, you are my friends. Speaking to the disciples, he says, no greater love had the man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now we know that in the Old Testament, Abraham was called the friend of God. We know that in the Old Testament, God esteemed men like Job that we heard this morning in the communion and Daniel. We know that in the Old Testament, God loved men who worshipped him. Uh, in Elijah's day, Obadiah took 50 men and, 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 and hid them in one cave. And another 50 men hid them in another cave because they were worshippers of God. And they refused to bow down and worship the idols around them. These men and women in the Old Testament were friends of God. And when Jesus said, I'm laying down my life for my friends, he was speaking about men as far back as Abraham. Even to those, to the men who was around him at the Last Supper. They were his friends. That's what a New Testament produced. That's what a New Testament introduced. The friends of God that Jesus lays down his life for his friends. But that's only half the story. You see, not only did Jesus lay down his life for his friends, but the Bible tells me that Jesus laid down his life for his enemies as well. Look what the Bible says in Romans but if while we were God's enemies, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, we was once his enemies. In fact, Paul goes on and says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners against God, Enemies of God, having a resistance towards God, having rebellion against God. While we were still enemies, the Bible says, Christ died for us. That is the whole story. Not only did Jesus lay down his life for his friends, and he says, you're my friends. Going all the way back to Abraham, to the present day disciples. 
The New Testament tells us that he goes even further than that. He lays down his life for those who do not like him, who do not love him, who do not want him, who are his enemies, who hated him. Even today, his name is used as a swear word by so many, but Jesus still died for them as well. Here is this new love being demonstrated, this new love being seen in the New Testament. And a correct understanding of that love. If you understood that Jesus Christ loved you even while you were his enemies, that would change you. I was uh, listening to a testimony um, of a, um, a man who was born in Long Island over in America but grew up in Brooklyn. His father was a, a member of the mafia gangland. He was a mafia boss, the father was. This guy's name is Frank, uh, Frank Rossetti. And Frank, he um, grew up in the whole lifestyle of the mafia background, because his dad was in it. And he was made up into one of the top men in the mafia. In fact, in his testimony, he said this, there were 50, 50 men who were bosses in that area, 50 of them. He was number six. He made between six and eight million pounds a week. And how he made that money was defrauding the government through petrol and fuel. Able to defraud the government. And he made huge amounts of money. Let alone all the other crime racket that he was involved in. And Frank said, out of the 50 who was bosses, 47 of them are dead. Two of them are serving life in prison. He's the only one hanging around. But Frank said this, I spent four years in prison, and while I was in prison, he said, God touched my heart. And the love of God melted my heart. He, he, he met, before he went to prison, he met his wife, who was a Christian. She didn't know that he was a mafia boss, but she, 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 she was a Christian. He fell in love with her, went to prison, and as she sent him letters and spoke to him about the love of God, it touched this man's heart and changed him. You see, the love of God has the potential to break into the hardest heart and the hardest life and to melt them completely. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that love affects you transforms you and changes you and so the death of Christ the second area where this, uh, this love really touches is um, through race through race what do I mean by race Well, in the, in the New Testament, Jesus met this man and this man came up to Christ and he said to Jesus, how can I get in eternal life? How can I inherit eternal life? I want to be in God's presence for all eternity. How can I do it? And Jesus looked at this man and saw through him. And Jesus said to him, well, you know the Old Testament. How do you read it? And he said, well, I know the Old Testament. 
And I really like this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And his chest sticks out. He knew. He was a theologian. He knew the Bible. That is what the Bible says about how to get eternal life. And Jesus looked at him and said, okay, you know that? Fine. You do that, you'll get in. Jesus would have been a bit sarcastic. Yeah, you do that. You love God like that. Yeah, sure, you get in. And this guy wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with Jesus' answer. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove himself. So he said to Jesus, um, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then proceeded to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. He set this story up of a man worshipping, a Jewish man worshipping Jerusalem and going home to Jericho. Now, I haven't been to Jerusalem, and I know um, a couple of friends have been to Jerusalem themselves. But if you go to Jerusalem, you will find that Jericho is a few miles down from Jerusalem. And Jericho is set on 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 a winding path. Somebody said it's very conducive for robbery. And this man, after worshipping God in, in, in Jerusalem and, 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 and serving God there, he leaves and he goes down this winding road going home to, 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 to Jericho. And as he goes, robbers set upon him and they grab hold of him and they beat him and they stripped his clothes and leave him half dead and bloody on the road. Jesus goes on to tell the story that two men who was actually in the same temple in Jerusalem, two Jewish men, comes by and they see the man on the side of the road, beaten and bloody. And they ask themselves this question. This is my word, not Jesus' word. They ask themselves a question. And the question could have gone like this. What will happen to me if I help that man? If I help him, maybe the robbers are still around. If I help him, maybe I'm going to get myself in trouble. I don't know what they thought, but, but, but they didn't want to help this man. And they passed this Jewish man, even though they were Jewish themselves, they passed this Jewish man and they went on their way. But Jesus said, a good Samaritan, a Samaritan man, a man from a different race, a man of a different nationality, went by. And he changed that question. He didn't say, what will happen to me if I help that man? He changed that question and he said, what will happen to that man if I do not help him? And this Samaritan, he got off of his donkey and he went down to this man and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine upon him. He placed him on his own animal. He takes him into the inn. He lays him down on a bed and he says to the innkeeper, look after this man. And when I come back, if there's any other cost, I will come and I will settle it with you. And Jesus turned around to this Jewish man who said, who is my neighbor? Jesus said to him, now, you tell me, who was a neighbor to that man? The Jewish man bit his lip. He couldn't bring himself to say the word. He couldn't bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Because he didn't like Samaritans. So he just turned around and said, the one who took pity on him. 
Jesus turned around and says, you go and do likewise. I think that's the word here, um, but he answered, you go and you do likewise. You see, why is that important? I tell you, love crosses, there's lots of layers to that story, but love crosses over so many barriers. Doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white, doesn't matter if you speak other languages, other cultures, love breaks through the race barrier totally and completely. There's no race where love is concerned, according to Jesus. And why is that important? I'll tell you why that's important. Because in heaven, the Bible tells me this. In heaven, John sees this wonderful vision. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, he says. And they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They were men and women from all nations around the throne of God. Praise be to God. Love breaks through race completely and totally. That's why it's a new command. Not only is it a new command because Jesus died on the cross for his enemies. But it's also a new command because it breaks through the racial divide and brings men and women before the throne of God. And thirdly, it's a new command because it speaks to us about life. It speaks to us about life. Jesus taught in Matthew these words. Jesus said, um, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. You heard that. Jesus said this again. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You heard that, Jesus said in the Old Testament. Jesus said this as well. You heard these words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You heard all these things. But every time Jesus said, you've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard this, he uses this word at the end of every three of these things. You have heard this, but I say to you. You have heard that you shouldn't commit murder, but I say to you. You have heard that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say to you. You have heard that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you. About murder, Jesus said this, the good thing. If you call your brother a fool, you will be in danger of hell. Never mind murder. If you call your brother a fool, never mind killing him, never mind burying his body somewhere in the dirt, if you call him a fool, Jesus says, I say to you, you will be in danger of hell. Never mind committing adultery, Jesus said, never mind committing adultery. I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery in your heart. I say to you, says Jesus. Never mind committing, um, hating your enemies. Just turn around and say, no, 
I say something different to you. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now you're sitting here saying, how can I love my enemies? I was listening to one of the greatest preachers in the 20th century, a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King. And in my estimation, he's second to Billy Graham. Um, tremendous um, orator, tremendous preacher. And Dr. King lived in a time when there was great tension in America, 50s and 60s, segregation. And um, black people were unable to um, sit on buses or eat in the same restaurants as their white counterparts. And, and there was great distress. And, 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 Do- and Dr. King uh, was, was telling the black community that you need to, you know, to, you know, to love your enemies. And their thoughts was probably the same as your thoughts today. How can we love our enemies How can we love our enemies when they are setting their dogs on us? How can we love our enemies when we are being dragged into prison? How can we love our enemies when we're being dragged off buses because we can't, uh, don't want to walk any longer, we want to sit down? How can we love our enemies when jobs are being passed up for us because we can't get work and other white men are getting the employment? How can we love our enemies? And these questions were filling the minds of the black community over over in the Deep South. But King said this, you need, the Bible says, don't like your enemies. You don't need to like your enemies. You don't like how they treat you. You don't need to like how they discriminate you, how they beat you, how they send you to prison. The Bible is not saying like your enemies. But the Bible is saying that you should pray for your enemies. Pray that God will deliver them. Pray that God will rescue them from hell. Pray that God will save them. Pray that God will bring them into eternal life. That is the greatest love you can give to any man if you pray that God will save them. Therefore, you don't need to like what your enemies are doing, but by praying for them, you are loving them. And Jesus will turn around and say this, This kind of new love I'm talking to you about. This new love that John is writing about. Yes, it's seen in the Old Testament, but this new love is different. This new love speaks like this. Love those who persecute you. Pray for them. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to save them. That is the greatest love you can give any man, any woman. If you ask God to come into their lives and save. loving let me just finish this whole sermon off I'm afraid I'll finish off in a little bit of a negative tone but here it is anyway we speak about loving hating you know there's too much hate in our world today isn't there too much hate do you know um, we have families where the children are divorcing the parents over in America. Take the parents to court and say to the court, you know what, I don't like my parents. I hate my parents. I want to divorce myself from my parents. Don't get any ideas, children. You can't get that in this country. 
But um, wherever you can, I don't know. I hate my parents. We've got parents who turn around and hating their children. They've got a new life, a new husband, a new wife, and their children are not on board, and they push their children away, and they say, you know what, I can't stand him any longer. Even in this church, I have um, a, a particular a, a family where, 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 where the father completely hated his sons. Couldn't stand them. In marriages today, we have a high percentage of marriages that are breaking up in our society today. And instead of the man saying to the woman, okay, you go your way and I'll go mine, we just split up. Instead of that happening, instead of that going on, they hate one another. The woman hates the man and the man hates the woman and the woman wants to ruin the man and the man wants to ruin the woman and they hate one another. Only in Thaden Boys down the road, a man there just murdered his wife in Thaden Boys a few years ago. Left her dead in the hallway. Hatred. We think it's only about road rage and people getting out of their cars or we think it's all about war and people fighting in other countries I want to tell you there's too much hate even in families now John picks this up in the next section of our Bible reading he picks it up and he says this but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, as John wrote these words, I've got a feeling, as he wrote these words, John was thinking about his gospel. John was thinking about what he wrote when he spoke about the life of Jesus. And when he wrote the gospel, there was a man in the gospel, you know him, his name is Judas Iscariot, you remember him? He's a guy who betrayed Jesus. And it was the Last Supper. And Jesus was standing there with the disciples. And he said this. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Everyone was silent. Everyone was shocked. They wondered one another, what does he mean? What does he mean? You know, what's he talking about? And Jesus said, you know, the one, I think I've got the verse up here, and Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, many people miss the next verse. Jesus gave him the bread. And many people don't see what happened after that. This is the next verse. It says this. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. Now, John is not concerned so much that it was nighttime outside the room. 
He wasn't concerned so much that it was dark outside. He was more concerned that it was dark inside Judas. It was night in his soul. Judas hated Jesus. Judas planned to hand him over to be killed. Judas didn't like Jesus. Even though he was sitting around with the disciples, having friendship and fellowship, he didn't like him. In fact, Judas had a dark, black heart. And when John write this and said, you know, he took the bread, and as soon as he took the bread, he went out, and it was night. Not only night on the outside, but it was night in his soul. And he did not know where he was going. His life was going down a dead-end street. He thought he was going to make a bit of money. He thought he would get the silver from the Jewish authorities and that would set him up for life. And and yet he didn't know where he was going and at the end, he commits suicide. Who is the author of darkness? Who is the author of confusion? Who is the one that will make your life into a life completely devoid of light. Who is he? Well, the Bible tells me, again, back to that story about Judas Iscariot, it said this, that as soon anyone, let's go to that next verse, says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. As soon as he took the bread, the devil was involved. And I'm not saying that the devil enters everybody. He doesn't doesn't do that anymore. But what I am saying is this. If you're in the darkness, you're right where he wants you to be. He will cause your life to be filled of confusion. You will look at the things that are right, are beautiful. And you will say, I don't want them. I don't want Christ. I don't want his way. And you look at the, the crooked path. And you look at the twisted path. And you look at the darkness. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that. I like that. That's because you're in the darkness. And you do not know where you're going. That's what John is saying. And this is what he's warning the church. He's comparing light and darkness. Truth and error. Love and hate. And he puts them to side by side. Why? Because there's people who are in both in these camps. The question that I need to ask you is what camp are you on this morning? Are you a Judas Iscariot? Having fellowship in the church. Singing songs of worship with God's people. And yet it's night time in your soul. There's no light there. If that's you, then do what Judas Iscariot should have done. Judas Iscariot should have made his way to the cross. Instead, he's made his way to collect his money, and from that, he he ended up committing suicide. Don't go that way. No, what he should have done, he should have made his way to the cross. Because at the cross, there's forgiveness of sin. No matter what you have done, how far in the darkness you have gone, at the cross, there's forgiveness of sin if that's you if you're in the darkness make your way to the cross but if not and you look at the test and you see well I'm a Christian 
I've looked at my life. May your life begin to show more of the love of Christ. Because what Jesus has done for you, rescuing you, saving you, delivering you, like that guy, Frank Vazetti, the, the, the gangster, the mobster over in Brooklyn, New York. He saw the love of Christ change and melted that man's heart. And now he's sharing his testimony about the goodness of God. I want to tell you, he is still good. And his love is demonstrated like this. That while we were still rebellious and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray.